Good morning, everybody. And happy Father's Day to all you guys out there, whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> this morning I'll be reading from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. As always, this is God's Word, and please be seated. Let me say again what uh, Roger just said. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. If you are a first-time father, this is your very first Father's Day, we're going to ask you to stand right now. Can we get you first-time fathers to stand? A couple of you guys. Well done. I just want to say to you young guys, first Father's Day, welcome to the land of no sleep. But this is going to be the greatest adventure of your life. If you're a father, regardless of how many years, stand and be recognized. Fathers, let's have you stand. Well done. It is a great Father's Day. And let's, let's pray to our Father in heaven as we, we jump into this lesson this morning. Father, this is this day is another day that demands that we begin in praise of you. The day is yours, we are yours, and all that we are and all of our praise is yours. We praise you for your gifts, the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of repentance, the gift of your unfailing love, the gift of the gospel the gift of the resurrection, which is the antidote to death, the gift of your church, our family, and for gifts untold. But most of all, we praise you for you, only you and you alone. You are indeed our Father. And we say we love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that happens whenever the Olympics come around every four years is that there's a ceremonial fire that is lit at Olympia. That fire is transferred to a torch. And the torch literally becomes a baton and becomes part of a long relay to the site of the Olympic Games, wherever they are in the world. A runner passes the torch to a next runner, to the next runner, to the next runner, until it arrives safely at the site of the Games. 
And they light the big fire that represents the Olympic Games in that site, and that is a fire that continues until the Games are done. That flame never goes out, not for a second while those Games are in process. And as you can imagine, because we use it all the time, passing the torch, passing the baton, it's become a metaphor, even a cliche even, but it's become a, a metaphor for passing something important, something that must never be extinguished, something that can never be lost to the next generation. And so I want you to write this down on your outline, that the passing of the torch is a humble act of mission. As fathers and, and really uh, as parents and as a church, we have a mission. And the passing of the torch is a humble act of mission. It is a reminder, mind you, that we are not here forever and that we have a responsibility to the generations that follow us to pass on the treasure. We pass on the treasure. It's Father's Day 2018. We're honoring dads. Implied in the title of this day of recognition is the presence of kiddos. Some, one, and they're tiny, and they're little, and they're babies, and others have lots of kids, and they're grown up like mine, and now we've become grandfathers and great-grandfathers. Father's Day is about the presence of children and about kids in our families, but it's also about a dad's influence. But we're a church. We are a family of God, and passing the treasure on to the next generation is all of our responsibility. We never want to be the kind of church that has to guilt anybody into doing anything, let alone guilt people into teaching children. I mean, sometimes, you know, in churches, they, they try to guilt people into doing that. The preacher gets up and he says, we need teachers in our children's ministry. No one responds. So he gets up the very next week and he says, if you care at all where children spend eternity, then volunteer to teach in the children's ministry. No one responds. So then he gets up the next week and he says, you know, statistics show that a six-year-old without a Sunday school teacher ends up being a serial murderer. <laughs> Nobody responds. So he gets up the very next week and he says, hey, I'd like to introduce you to little Billy. He's a six-year-old. So Billy, what's it like on death row? How do you like living on the Green Mile? And we try to guilt people into doing things for children. We don't want to be that kind of church. Psalm 71 verse 18 says, even when I am old and gray, kind of like me. It's funny he doesn't say bald-headed. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Let's say that verse together as a church with our outside voices. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That's the kind of church we want to be. Have, have you been paying attention recently to some of the things that have been going on in our church family? Um, think for a moment what, is, what has happened recently in terms of teaching. Uh, the men's retreat this year was led by Hudson Hutchinson, who spent his entire life in this church family. And now he is a minister at a church up in Oklahoma. Maybe we should say a missionary to Oklahoma from Texas. 
And he's been doing that for a number of years, and now he has come back, and, and we see the kind of man of God that he's grown up to be. Eric Gentry, who grew up in this church, kicked off our summer series this last Wednesday night, did a fabulous job. He's a minister in, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. At the end of the summer, Jeff Brooks, who grew up in this church, is going to be speaking at the end of the summer here in the church that he grew up in. This summer alone, we have college-age kids who have decided that they're going to spend their summers in ministry. They're not going to come home. They're not going to lay around. They're not going to, uh, uh, to, to be idle with their time. They're going to go and they're going to bless people. We have Sam Simpson, who's up in Wichita Falls at the Edgemere Church as an intern this summer, helping with kids and helping with ministry there. It just happens to be the church where I went to kindergarten. I'm really happy that Sam is there. Jasmine Spivey's at the Capitol Hills Church in Oklahoma City, working with that church this summer. Katie West, she decided she wanted to go to Greece. She's working with Hellenic Ministries, working with refugees that are coming into Greece. You got Clay Raisler at the Park Avenue Church in Denison. You got Moriah Richter, who has just finished up um, a, a year or so uh, up at Sunset. He's going to be moving to João Pessoa to spend nearly two years there in, in ministry in Brazil. Jesse Gomez, working with the Impact Church in Tulsa, sort of an inner city ministry. You have her sister, Kayla Gomez, who's working with the Edmund Church of Christ in Oklahoma. These are young men and women who have grown up in our church family and who take seriously our mission statement to love God and love people and change the world. I'm glad to be a part of a church where we as a church are sending out people who believe in God and loving Him and they know that people need the gospel and they want to change the world. Amen? One of the other things, though, about passing the torch, it implies that we're not going to be here forever as dads and as granddads. We have a window that seems to be getting smaller and smaller with every passing generation. And so we don't forget this truth, dads and church, that the days can be long, but the years are short. Man, those days can seem awfully long sometimes. But then you blink, and years have gone by. And so on this day, not, not just for dads, but for everyone here, we want to remind ourselves of the need to pass the torch of faith in God and to share the treasure of the gospel in the time that God has given us. We are teachers, and we are modelers, and we're encouragers, and we're affirmers, and huggers, and sacrificers, and more than anything else, we are prayers for the next generation. And so a lot of times, uh, new fathers and, and sometimes some of the middle-aged fathers say, you know, I, I really want to, to do these kinds of things with my kids. But I don't really know where to start in terms of teaching them. What, what are some of the basic things that we can do? Let me give you my starting five. I thought about it for a couple of weeks. I, I narrowed it down to five. Believe me, I could have given you about 100. But we'll do, with, we'll do with five. Where do you start? You start with a reality. One of the most important things that we teach our children as parents, as dads, as moms, as, 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 as disciples of Jesus is that there is a God. And we help them to memorize the very first couple of words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God is at the core and at the center of all things. You know, going back to the late 70s, 
There was a time, and it's hard to believe that it's passed, but there was a time when everyone had to take driver's ed in high school before they would get a license. Usually, how many of you have been in a simulator before? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Usually a, a coach or a PE teacher would instruct the students in the classes or the simulators, and then you'd have to pass a couple of written tests, and you know, you'd have to do the fake driving in the simulator and practice right turn and left turn and all these kinds of things. And then you got the real thing. The actual driving experience with an adult. In my particular case, it was the basketball coach, Coach Franklin. He was in the car with myself and Tammy and Cheryl. And at that time in Bowie, Maryland, there was a racetrack. And uh, he would read the racing form uh, up there in the front seat. Uh, girls in the back, I'm driving. Uh, Tammy would drive. He's reading, deciding who he was going to bet on at the racetrack. And then he'd tell me to pull over, and it was time for Cheryl to get behind the wheel. He'd put down the racing form and strap on that seatbelt. <laughs> and he'd look in the back seat to make sure that Tammy and I were doing the same thing. And Tammy and I would hold hands in the back seat, and we would hum kumbaya. <laughs> and Cheryl was known to take out trash cans. Uh, there was a, an active railroad track right through the middle of Bowie, Maryland, and one time... Uh, you know, we thought the train was coming, and she decided to, to try to get across that track. And it was the 70s, and gas was a little watered down. She stalled that car on the racetrack. It was an amazing thing when that car finally got started again. And I don't want to tell you what it was like when we got out there on the Capitol Beltway and she was driving. It felt like we were in bumper cars. And Coach Franklin's foot would hover right, you know, in those, those cars, those driver ed cars. There was always... Uh, on the passenger side, there was a break, and his foot would hover right over the top of it. And to me, the moral of that story and that memory has always been, it's important to recognize who's driving. And one of the things that we teach our kids all the time is that God is not our co-pilot. God is the pilot of our life. There is a God that is the starting place. We teach our children that there is a God and that there's no one else like him. He's bigger than, than uh, puppy pals. He's, he's, he's bigger than Peppa Pig. He's bigger than Iron Man. He is a God. We teach our children that God does not just love us without liking us at the same time. We are his children. And he delights in us the way that a good father delights in his children when they come to the dinner table or they come to his chair or they come to the house at the end of the day. And we always remember, dads, that our kiddos don't always have that concept of father in heaven down until they get a little bit older. And when we talk about our fathers, you're the one. Our father in heaven those first ideas, those first whatever they are, abstract ideas about our Father in Heaven are going to be centered on you as Father. So we start with that reality and we go to mission. There is a mission in life that we teach our kids. We love God and we love people. One day this fellow comes up to Jesus and he says, I want you out of all of these laws. I'm swimming in laws. I'm swimming in all of these commands. Can you just boil it down? Tell me what is the most important thing? And Jesus says, here it is. Are you ready to listen? He says, yes, I am. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That means don't have a single place in your heart that doesn't somehow in that muscle try to love God. 
He says, and with all of your soul, with all of that core of, of your life, and with all of your mind, all the time, think about your love of God. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He says, but listen, there's a second that's just like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways you bless children is teaching them to love the biggest, most important thing they can know, which is God. Yes, God is holy, and God is mighty, and God is spirit. But God is the kind of God who loves us, and we take all of those, those moments in life to help explain and, and to uh, create in this uh, sacred imagination what it means to be loved by God. And so remember, guys, that extraordinary parenting happens in ordinary moments. Think about just eating for a minute. I mean, it's Father's Day. We're going to eat, right? Think about eating. When we sit down to a meal, we are reminded that God created everything that we needed for life, like food, before he ever created a single human being. Which means that the earth was created for a place for humans to flourish and to thrive. You can think about it this way. All of that time that you and your wife put into putting together that nursery, the right colors, the right crib, the right carpet, the right music, the right stuff, the right this, the right that. All of that was what God was doing before he created a single human, and, human being. He created this place that even if we were little and didn't know a vocabulary, we would recognize that God is building a place out of love for us to be able to flourish and to thrive. I mean, and then you're sitting down to eat a meal and you remind your kids, you know, this food comes from God. But think about this, kids. Not only did it come from God, but he made food that tastes great. Why? Ask him why. Why do you think God made food that tastes good? Because he wants us to love it. He wants us to find pleasure in it. And you don't want, I mean, only a God of love would want his children to have pleasure when they're eating, not a God of hate. If it was a God of hate, we'd be eating liver and onions every day. But there, think about this. Why in the world is there a pineapple? You ever thought about that? Why a pineapple? It is a weird-looking fruit. And you can get the same stuff from an orange or some other piece of citrus fruit. Why is there a pineapple? Because God has pleasure in us tasting a pineapple. He wants to bless us with taste and with texture and for there, there, there to be pleasure. I mean, he created tomatoes this last yesterday this, and really over the weekend. Ellen and I have been devouring Charlie Blank tomatoes, the best tomatoes in San Antonio. God created the tomato to be loved and cherished, or a peach. And I'm always thinking for the pecan pie tree, where you can just go and pick a pecan pie right off of the tree and enjoy it. It's in this way that we begin to help our children to understand what God is like. That he created these things for us to love and to find pleasure in because he loves and finds pleasure in us. And because God is this way, then that's the way we, we are with all of the people that he loves. 
We say we're disciples of Jesus, and what does a disciple do? A disciple lives like Christ. But in interaction with other people, what does he do? He blesses people. In other words, another definition for a disciple is someone who's always making things better. And so we teach our kids. We, we love people the way that God loves us and loves others. You see something going on at school. You're not the one that jumps in the middle of it and makes it worse. You're the peacemaker. Oh, and then Jesus said one time that the peacemakers are the sons of God. Or if you see somebody hungry, what do you do? You give them food. Or if they're thirsty, you give them a drink. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 25, didn't he? We teach our kiddos to love God. And to love God means that we love people. And this is because how we love God is a reflection of how we love people and vice versa. But then number three, there's an aspiration in life. You know, I, it, was, it was sort of easy from the very beginning to see that I could never aspire to be Michael Jordan. Five foot seven and no jumping abilities. But I remember when somebody said to me, you know what your, your number one aspiration is every day? It's to walk like Jesus walked. And he shared this scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's what we teach our kids, that, that being a Christian is a way of life. We live in every area of our life the way that Jesus did. There is no area of our life that is off limits to him, that is guarded and fenced off to him. We used to say walk the walk is better than talk the talk. Listen, as a disciple of Jesus, we do both. We speak his words, the gospel, and we live his life in order for people to see that the gospel is possible in the life of a human being. And there's also an action. One of the easiest, you just teach the golden rule. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do unto others the way that you would want them to treat you. That's an action that we teach our children. And then finally, and we're done, a danger. You chase God, not God's stuff. We live in a part of the world where materialism is rampant, greed is rampant, and we're blind to it for the most part. In all the years that I have been a minister, I have had people come in and, and want to share with me some of the most heinous, awful, horrific, ugly things that you can imagine a, a human being can be a part of. But never once in nearly 40 years have I had anybody come into the office and say, uh, Preacher Mark, I need you to pray for me because I'm greedy. I've never had anyone to say, you know, I really have a problem with materialism. There's something about the nature of, of materialism and greed that blinds us toward it. And so we have to teach our children that there is a danger in this life, and it's, it's to find more pleasure in the stuff of God than to find it in the presence of God himself. And so Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Yet, they forfeit their own soul. You know, being a father like being a mother is not very easy. 
There are all kinds of forces that can work against us. There's, there's all kinds of a, a, a deconstructing and a dismantling of what it means to be a father. It's difficult. But one of the things that we believe is that God empowers us to do the very things that God gives us as mission to do. And so in the middle of this church family, guys, there, there, are, there are men that you see who are doing it the right way. There, there are men that you see who can act as mentors. There are men who can answer questions. There, there are men who can, who can serve as examples, who can pray with you and mentor you and stand beside you and walk this parenting road with you. And there's also God's Word that instructs our heart and, and, and causes us to draw closer to Him and our knowledge and God's Spirit who strengthens us in the inner man and the presence of God Himself. And one of the best ways to, to, to think about being a father is in thinking about how God is a father to you. In the way that you're loved, in the way that you're provided for, in the way that you're forgiven, in the way that you're instructed, in the way that you're embraced, in the way that you feel his nearness. It is hard. But one of the most incredible journeys, tasks that you can put your shoulder to in all of life is to take this little soul that when it first came into your life, you could hold it with two hands. And you thought your heart was going to burst. And one of the greatest things you can do with your life is to help that little soul, that little child, that little heart, that little mind, those little figures, back of the neck, the ears, all that cool stuff, is to help that little kid know that it is loved beyond its imagination, not only by you, but by his Father in heaven. And that that Father has a heaven that is waiting not only for you, but for he or she. That there's a way that we live our life that doesn't make life easier, but it makes life profound, and it makes life significant. And a life in which there can be a joy and a peace that comes into it because of the nearness of God. That there's a way to live without fear in a world that seems to ramp up the fear every time we turn around. That there is a God who is willing to sacrifice his greatest and most treasured relationship in order for us to be his joy. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front and if there's a way that our church can pray for you or minister to you, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds while we take this opportunity to praise God for the Father that He is. Let's stand and sing.